see if this guy goes back now because the big throw. If he comes down, throw it outside, right? Portals spins away. We're going to have a holding call, it looks like. Portals wisely puts two hands on it as Adam Butler finally ends the play to nowhere. Brady under center, second and goal. Fake it to White. Looking around, has time, throws it. Did he get the feet down? What an effort! Touchdown, Amendola! Let's see if he does it. High ball back against on how you're supposed to throw it there, so it's protected. Le right foot, left foot ball. That's a touchdown, Jim. New England has the lead and a shot at heading to the Super Bowl. We just needed to shore up our edges and, uh, you know, tackle um, and, and play sound defense. Uh, I don't think we did that too well in the first half. We did a better job of it in the second half. And, uh, you know, the offense came alive, defense came alive, and we were able to, you know, work together and get it done. Yeah, it just wasn't enough, man. We didn't get the job done. Uh, terrible feeling. Yeah. Was the turning point third down and 18? They went right nine minutes left to play when they converted. I don't know, man. You never know. Uh, you never know what play it is in a game that can change it around. Uh, but you know, possibly. Yeah. Y'all write the narrative on that. Four men on the rush. Keenum throws. He's picked. Patrick Robinson back the other way, looking for a block. Gets it. Robinson for the touchdown. Coppers penalty kill for Pittsburgh. Sharks on the power play. They control off the draw. It's Burns with a shot. Saved by DeSmith on the rebound atop the crease. They score. Tomas Hurdle tucks it home past DeSmith. And a minute 53 into the third, it's 2-1 San Jose on a power play goal. We generated some chances. He made some saves. Um, you know, just couldn't uh, couldn't get those those opportunities or second and third ones that... Uh, you know, that were important, especially with a close game like that. And you just got to bury the puck at the end of the day. It's just it's execution. I mean, I had some really good looks and, um, you know, put a couple of those in. It's good to game. Time for Saverin on Sports. Patriots in the Super Bowl, same old story, same old song and dance. And really a lot like the Super Bowl of last year. It didn't look like it for a long period of time. A lot of people talk about the last two Super Bowl wins for the Patriots, saying that. The opponents, Seattle and Atlanta, respectively, gave the game to the Patriots. Some would say Jacksonville did their part in the Patriots' win also. But at some point, if somebody offers you something, you still have to have the wherewithal to take it. And the Patriots take it, and they took it yesterday. So the question becomes, did the Patriots win it? Or did the Jaguars lose it? Jaguars played ex exceptionally well, but not good enough, and that's on them. 
and they were complicit in their own demise. Players, obviously, you heard from Jalen Ramsey there. You also heard from James Harrison. You heard from him at the end of the game, too. Hey, the mere fact James Harrison did a post-game interview might have been the biggest upset of the day. We're going to talk about all that and all the things that happened in the game. I certainly want to hear your comments on it. I think it was the Jacksonville coaching staff, as much as anybody, who contributed to the Patriots uh, to the uh, Jaguars' demise. I picked the Eagles to win, not by thirty-eight to seven, but I picked them to win for the exact same reason that people picked them to lose. I couldn't understand this. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about it all. And there is some Steelers news, not contractual or hiring or firing. But there is some NFL news we'll get to. Dale Lolly of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the Steelers Radio Network joins me today at 12.30. The Penguins lose two out of three on the West Coast, and yet, yeah, they need the points. But I don't find myself discouraged because I thought they played pretty well in the San Jose game. Played, not that this is enough, but played well for two periods against Anaheim and played well against the Kings. So, I think they're in better position than they were a month ago today. Mike Lang, the iconic Hall of Fame voice of the Pens, joins me today at 1 o'clock. And I'm sure you have been looking because of the connection, but if you haven't looked, don't look now, but the Las Vegas Golden Knights have the best record in the NHL. An expansion team. Now, hats off to Gerard Gallant. Florida made a terrible mistake in firing that guy. He's an excellent coach. But even so, best record in the NHL, which leads me to ask the question, was the NHL's expansion draft too lenient? I know they don't want doormats like they had in Going back to the days of Ottawa when they first started, oh, God, were they awful. San Jose. But is this too much? Do they give them too much? Or is this just a product of great coaching and, of course, as we know, great goaltending? But if the NHL draft structure had been less lenient, then maybe they don't have Marc-Andre Fleury as their goaltender. Maybe they have Antti Niemi. 412-922-2874. 412-922-2874. Pound 970 on your cell. You can email me, stansaverin at iheartmedia.com. You can post on Facebook, Saverin on Sports. I put out a tweet yesterday going against my, <laughs> going against my, uh, I don't tweet if I'm not at work, but watching that game, I felt like I had to. And my tweet was this. The clock struck midnight in the fourth quarter, and Cinderella turned into Blake Bortles. Now, several people took that as a shot at Bortles, and it was not intended to be. What it was intended to say is that the Jacksonville coaching staff was afraid of their own quarterback. They didn't have enough faith in him 
to continue what they were doing in the first half. They were afraid to put him in position where he had to win the game. That's exactly what they did. In the first half, Jacksonville passed on first down seven times. In the second half, three. Belichick or Matt Patricia made an adjustment. I mean, Fournette wasn't getting a lot of room, but he was, you know, gaining some, but they obviously made an adjustment. And so we're not going to let Leonard Fournette beat us, so it'll be up to Blake Bortles. And I'm not suggesting that Jacksonville's coaching staff should have had him back there passing on every down or let him throw the ball deep down the field. But he had such great success with low-risk elementary passing plays where he didn't have to make great throws. But they stopped allowing him to do that. They wanted to take their own quarterback out of the victory equation. And that end up costing him because when New England totally took Fournette out of the game, then what were they left with? They were left with Bortles put in position where he had to win the game. You don't want Blake Bortles, and again, he is what he is, and I think he was better yesterday and certainly against the Steelers than he was against Buffalo or really for most of the points of the season but you cannot have him in positions of second and nine, third and eight. He and their passing attack are not built for that. And part of the success they had in the first first half was because they were completing passes on first down. didn't have to be for first down, although they did that too. But you pick up six or seven. Now it's second and four, second and three. You are dictating to the defense and not the other way around. So while I don't blame Blake Bortles per se, and he was not nearly as accurate in the second half, although you look his stats overall were pretty good. 23 for 36. And for him, a pretty good quarterback rating, no picks, one touchdown. But his own coaching staff were afraid of him. Afraid of putting him in a position, which is exactly what they ended up doing, by pulling back. Now that wasn't the only factor in the game, but I do think, and you could ask Atlanta and Dan Quinn about this, To beat them, you've got to play a darn near perfect game. Now, in Atlanta's case last year, in the Super Bowl, is a little bit different because what happened? They got overly aggressive, right? They hit Julio Jones for that pass inside the 30, and then 
they drop Matt Ryan back to pass. He gets sacked, and that blows the field goal that would have won him the game. So Atlanta got a little bit too crazy, and they also wilted badly on defense. But you could say the same thing for the Jaguars. I think we're all aware of one play in particular. And I've had a lot of people, you know, mention this during the game and today. Mark posts on Facebook and he says, any thoughts, Stan, on the officiating during the Patriots game? Only one penalty call would look like a few holes were not called. And I responded, and I'll say it again, looked to me like there were many holes that weren't called. Hard to tell on TV, but you could say, well, they're very disciplined, and they are, but only one penalty against a defense like that? You know, one penalty hurt them badly, and that was the pass interference call on A.J. Boye, which led to New England's first touchdown. You know, it's sitting there at 14-3. to Now, maybe the Patriots and Brady score anyway. But that's not pass interference. Those plays happen 100 times a game. That was a perfect non-call to me right there. Still, Jacksonville had an opportunity to keep him out of the end zone. And the game began to turn because Jacksonville could not get first downs. I also thought when they were moving the ball, remember they had the one drive which took them to the 42, and it was fourth and one, they punted. I don't have a problem with them punting there. But I also thought during that drive, if you know, I don't know if you noticed this or not, not that you should be in kill-the-clock mode and, oh, how, what time is it now and how much left and can we hang on, but I also think you've got to play that smart. And at that point in the game, did you notice that Bortles is snapping the ball with 12, 13, 14 seconds left on the play clock? Remember, now at that point, it's 20 to 10. They need two scores. And maybe that's contradictory when I say you can't play the clock there, but you've also got to be smart about it. Because even if you don't score there, which they did not, you have to understand that New England needs two scores. I thought that showed a lack of experience on Bortles' part. That I will criticize him for. And I also criticize... Who's ever in the helmet with him? I'm sure Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator. And if you knew this, he's Paul Hackett's son, former Pitt head coach. Anyway, does a good job with them. But if he has total autonomy for calling the plays, I thought they backed off. And they backed off because of what a lot of people feared. Well, Blake Bortles isn't good enough. I mean, you can't be afraid of your. I mean, you have to, you have to understand the limitations of the people that you have. But I don't think you can go into a game like that and be afraid of it. They weren't afraid in the first half. I kept saying to myself, even when it was 20-10, to 10, knowing New England, Jacksonville's going to need one more score, even a field goal. Because let's look at the end of the game. 
they were in field goal range. Now, New England might have played differently on defense, knowing that a field goal would beat them, as opposed to knowing that the Jackson needed a touchdown at 24-20. to 20. But I can't, they said, they're going to need one more score. A touchdown will win it. A field goal will give them a chance to win it. Didn't get it. And the other factor is, when they couldn't pick up first downs, the field position began to flip. Slowly I turned. (laughs) Step by step. Five yards here, seven yards there. And finally, a bad punt by Jacksonville gives the ball to the Patriots at, what was it, the 48? You knew the game was over. The only hope there is that they, they get a tie and go to overtime and somehow miraculously win it. You could see the squeeze, see the squeeze coming. You could just see it coming. Thomas adds the Jacksonville coach aired by kneeling at the half with 55 seconds left and two timeouts, 37 yards to field goal range. No score is a certainty, but even a field goal there would have enabled a field goal attempt. Eagles faced that. Of course, they were up then, 21-7, but they got a field goal. But by the same token, there's another illustration. They were happy to be up 14-10. to And they didn't feel like Bortles. You don't want to give them the ball. I understand that. I didn't find that that bad. I thought their play calling in the fourth quarter was. But we all know there's one big play that... Turned the game around, we think. You never know. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about James Harrison's play, and Dale Lolly's going to join us at 1230. That's all today. Don't forget, Mike Lang will be joining us today at 1 o'clock. We'll be talking about the NHL expansion draft. Is it too lenient? We may be facing that again in a year or two. That's all ahead today on Savern on Sports. It's the godfather of Pittsburgh sports. Don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Stan Saverin on ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM and 106.3 FM. With protection, Anton for the touchdown! New England's going to flood the zone, put the running back over there, the tight end, and then bring Amendola underneath. I know, we said whatever it takes, so that was a great second half, and uh, just so proud of our team. Amazing. Amazing. How difficult was it playing through that hand injury? I've had a lot worse. So, uh, I didn't know that on Wednesday. It was a crazy injury, and um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday were a little scary, and then yesterday gained some confidence, and today... Uh, no, we did just enough to win. Looks like Jacksonville had a pretty good game plan, but a couple of things did him in. And much of it self-inflicted. Matthew Post, Stan, it looked to me like the Jags were playing not to lose in the second half. Pretty easy to see in uh, his humble opinion. John Post, I knew the Jags would lose the game when they went totally conservative on offense in the third quarter. They tried to run out the clock. The seven-point lead and ten minutes left in the third quarter, that's never going to happen versus New England. And no, it doesn't happen. 
Gary says the Jag could not deliver the knockout punch in the second half with a 20-10 to lead in the fourth quarter. If the Patriots could overcome a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl, they certainly could overcome the Jags at home by making adjustments at halftime and upping their intensity. Even with that, though, you know, we talk about the, the Patriots' adjustment. Let's remember something. Even with that, Jacksonville added to their lead in the third quarter, and New England did not score. Even with that. So, hey, listen. I give Belichick and his coordinators all the credit in the world, reluctantly, but you have to. But let's not exactly come out and say, well, they made adjustments at halftime and the game flipped. No, it did not. It did not. Not in the third quarter when the Jaguars actually expanded their lead. But then they made the mistake of looking up at the scoreboard and seeing what the score was and how much time was left. There are a couple of plays to consider. Third and 18. Third and 18. Can't give that up. They get 21 yards and a first down, which keeps that drive alive. Third and 18 against that defense. And speaking of that defense, did it it seem to you as though this was constant throughout the game, maybe that was their plan, I saw a ton of times when Jacksonville had linebackers covering wide receivers. Now, is that by design? Or is that Brady and or Josh McDaniels getting the matchups that they wanted? I mean, they have speedy linebackers, although Teflon Smith who returned that fumble for a touchdown against the Steelers. I think he he got hacked up a little bit. And he and Miles Jack have terrific speed, but it seemed to me like I saw linebackers on wideouts a bunch of times. Now, maybe that's because Gronkowski was out. And they use wideouts in those patterns. And speaking of Miles Jack, you don't know what happens. You don't know what happens. But the way that play developed when he stripped Deion Lewis of the ball, he may have been home free for a touchdown. But I wouldn't call the whistle inadvertent because initially, I mean, they did did rule that it was a fumble. But if the whistle doesn't blow, I mean, you don't see the wide scope of the field. I mean, you can't tell for sure. And we talk about the officiating. Maybe that's for losers, but against that Jacksonville front, they only held one time. You know, by the way, for a guy who's being touted as defensive player of the year, where was Calais Campbell? And I could say that about him, and I did, in the postgame show after the Steeler game. Where was he? Where was he?
Well, a lot of people have a lot of comments. We're going to continue with that. And we're going to get the thoughts of Dale Lally, who I know is active tweeting during the game. Dale, of course, from the Steelers Radio Network and DK Pittsburgh Sports, covers the Steelers. He joins me next on Saverin on Sports. Radio Station. He won't break the peace, but if you do, you'll know vengeance. Saverin on Sports. ESPN Pittsburgh on 970 AM and 106.3 FM. Florida got a first and goal. Still with Portals. Portals locks in, and it's caught by Mercedes Lewis. The longest tenured Jaguar, Mercedes Lewis, scores from four yards out. Well, we're able to get, I wouldn't say momentum, but we were able to get the lead, and you know, then we we didn't make enough plays to keep the lead, or we had an opportunity at the end of the game to win it. We weren't able to do that. And credit to New England, obviously, you know, they made the plays to win the game for themselves. And, you know, they're a great team. And, you know, I like the way our guys fought. It's a locker room, obviously, there's a lot of pain. You know, you just hurt inside. Um, I'm hurting. The coaches are hurting. The players, obviously, are hurting. I'm sure our fans are hurting. That's Doug Marone, who did such a great job this year with Jacksonville. Talking after the game yesterday. We're joined now by Dale Lally, who covers the Steelers for years now, and now covers them for DK Pittsburgh Sports, and of course is a member of our Steelers radio network crew. Um, Dale, bottom line, did Jacksonville's coaching staff fear their own quarterback? Were they afraid to, to let him do what needed to be done? Well, I, I certainly think, and thanks for having me on, Stan, by the way, uh, and congratulations on your uh, your anniversary. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, I think that the series that got me, it wasn't uh, – New England had closed within uh, three points. It was, I believe, 20 to 17. Jacksonville comes out, runs the ball on first down, throws a deep pass on second down for an incompletion. Yeah. That's not that's not turtling or let, not letting your quarterback try to win the game. That's That was kind of an odd call uh, concerning what – had transpired to that point, and then they, you know, then they went three and out on that on that series. Um, Blake Bortles is not good. Uh, if you watch, you know, every game that he played in the playoffs, uh, they they did the same thing. They were trying to uh, overcome average to below average quarterback play. And I know people will sit here and say, "Well, he had a really good game against the Steelers." Did he really? Because from five minutes, where there were five minutes left in the second quarter until midway through the second, third quarter, he didn't complete a pass. He was two for six in the third quarter overall, and both, both completions were on screen passes. I mean, he, they, they, were, they were protecting him the whole way through. And that's the, that's the really uh, galling part to me that the Steelers let a team that was one-dimensional beat them. Now he made a couple of plays in the fourth quarter that, given his the rest of his body of work, you look at and go, "Oh, those were those were really good plays." They, they were average plays for an NFL quarterback. They're plays that an NFL quarterback should make. But we've dumbed things down so greatly for Blake Bortles that we look at it and say, "Wow, what a great play by Blake Bortles!" Those were those are passes that an NFL quarterback should complete. He's just not very good. So he may have actually done the, the Jaguars a favor by losing that game yesterday, as, as much as, as crazy as that sounds, because if he takes them to the Super Bowl, they got to bring him back next year. 
at like $20 million a year. <laughs> I mean, think about that. I mean, that's what happened with that's what happened with the Ravens and Joe Flacco. Yeah. I mean, he, he has not played up to that contract. You can't tie yourself into a quarterback like that long term when you're trying to, to – you're, you're basically winning in spite of him. Yeah, they had to work around him. Um, but they were, but they were less willing to back off in the first half. Uh, what uh, a revealing stat! I thought Dale in the first half, Jacksonville threw on first down seven times. In the second half, only three. So you could all, you know, and and the, uh, the narrative that oh, Belichick made an adjustment. Well, that adjustment did not, you know, they they didn't. You know, they're down twenty to ten with what nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So whatever adjustments they made, Jacksonville still had a 10-point lead. Right, and that's um, – did they stop the run better in the second half? Yes. Uh, did the Steelers stop the run better in the second half against Jacksonville? Yes. Uh, you know, Jacksonville had 110 yards rushing at the half in that game against the Steelers and finished with 150. So they had 40 yards rushing in the second half. That's kind of been lost in the mix. Um, you know – the Steelers made some mistakes in that game in coverage. I mean, they gave Bortles 40 yards on a pass that he threw basically at, what, about seven yards on a little dump off to the flat? Yeah, to the running back. Um, you know, mistakes like that are what cost you. Um, you know, I, again, I, I think the Patriots do do a good job of making halftime adjustments, but that's not why they won that game yesterday. They won the game yesterday because they, quite frankly, you know, they, they only gave up 20 points. Um, it's, it's not like they had a great offensive game plan. Um, it, it's just a matter that Jacksonville's offense was what it thought, what we thought it was, and they, they just weren't going to beat beat a, a team if you didn't make mistakes because they were too one dimensional. Dale Lolly's our guest. A couple of key plays, uh, Dale. Uh, obviously, the third and eighteen. I mean, you can't you, you can't c- give that up. You can't give that up, especially when you've got allegedly the number one defense. And Andy tweets, um, and he, he's right. Um, he says, I thought, he draws a great parallel here. Uh, he, Andy tweets, I thought the Jags lost the game when they forced that Miles Jack fumble. They got the whistle, but they still had the ball. They went three and out. And he draws an analogy, and I thought this was critical last week, not to relitigate the Steelers' loss, but when Golden blocked that punt and they didn't score off of that, I, I think both of these situations were analogous. Jacksonville did not take advantage of of all the momentum when Jack ripped that ball out of Lewis's hands. Yeah, I would agree completely. I mean, uh, those two plays are are symbolic of exactly what happened there. I mean, the Steelers got the ball what the forty eight. They could, you know, they had they have a Pro Bowl kicker. They couldn't get fifteen yards to get into field goal range at least in that situation. That was huge. Uh, same thing with with Jacksonville. I thought when. When they got that turnover, that uh, you know, a couple of first downs there, and they, they at least win the field position battle. Uh, they didn't do that, and, and they gave the momentum right back to uh, to New England. And you can't you can't keep giving Tom Brady chances. Uh, it's just not going to work. I mean, you have to at least keep putting threes up at, at worst with your defense. Um, you know, if they if they do kick a couple of field goals, you get a couple of first downs in that situation where you've gotten the momentum. Kick another field goal. Now it's now you're up 13, and instead of trying to have to score a touchdown to win the game, uh, they were in field goal range at the end. So, again, it's it's the little things that you can't do against New England that will get you beat. 
uh, they don't make the little mistakes, and apparently they don't commit any penalties. No, of course so. not. <laughs> uh, one penalty, you know, it, it seems illogical um, that they only had one holding penalty. When you're, uh, and I mentioned that, you know, Calais Campbell, to me, um, has been on the back of a milk cart in the last two weeks, but when you're dealing with that act of a front four, I mean, you have to have committed more than one holding penalty. It sure seemed like that to me. Yeah, you would you would think so, wouldn't you? But that's been uh, basically since the week before they played the Steelers. I think they've had like six penalties. I mean, they just they just don't get called. Uh, whether they commit them or not is you know that's a, a different argument. But but certainly uh, it seems to stretch the bounds of reason uh, to think that they don't. Uh, you know, you, you talk to anybody and they say, well, you could call holding uh, on every play in the NFL. Really? Because I, <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, uh, boy, the, the Patriots uh, maybe they maybe they cut the hands off of all their offensive linemen. Uh, it just it seems to me like uh, they haven't haven't gotten a holding penalty in quite a long time, and and that just like I said, that just stretches my the bounds of credibility. Yeah, and the PI uh, call on Boye, which led to New England's first touchdown, that's a classic no call to me. Well, I, I thought he did ride him out of bounds. I mean, I, I think you could argue that the ball was uncatchable, and maybe it should have just been a, a defensive holding penalty, but I, I understand that. He got away with far worse against the Steelers the week before. Yeah, um, There was a play where he went up over Martavis Bryant's back. Uh, <laughs> it was an obvious pass interference play, and it wasn't called. Not that it would have changed the outcome of the game, but certainly uh, it happened. And so... Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think in certain cases the officials swallow their their whistles. Um, I was surprised that they make a call like that in that situation, um, but I thought it was a, a legitimate call. Well, of course, Mercedes Lewis, you know, had was decapitated, and there was no call there. But getting away from the officials. Um, <laughs> Because we can spend all day on that. I know you watch the game carefully and look for things like this. Um, I mentioned before you came on, Dale, it sure seemed to me like on many different occasions, Jacksonville had linebackers covering wideouts. Uh, on a number of occasions, Teflon Smith, uh, Miles Jack, I mean, was that their strategy? Or is that because Gronkowski wasn't there and wideouts were running routes in areas where Gronkowski normally would be running them? Yeah, I think that was part of it, Stan. And, and let's, to be honest, I mean, those two uh, linebackers, uh, Telvin Smith and Miles Jack, are both uh, four or five to sub four or five guys. Uh, they are every bit as fast as Ryan Shazier. So it's not, you know, necessarily a mismatch to put those guys in those kind of situations. Uh, New England tries to do that to you. They, they do a good job of, of getting matchups on you. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, They'll bunch four receivers and do things like that and, and then send it back out of the backfield. And you have to adjust and, and cover that. Um, and, and they also, you know, will, will run some double tight stuff that, uh, you know, forces you to keep your base packages on the field and therefore you get those, those matchups as well. So they do a good job of that, as good a job as anybody. And typically, though, when you have uh, Telvin Smith and, and Miles Jack covering guys, it's not a mismatch. I mean, you know, against the Steelers, Telvin Smith had 16 tackles. He was all over the field. Uh, but in, in that situation, um, I, I really thought when they knocked Gronkowski out, the, the Patriots were going to struggle. 
And uh, out of nowhere, here comes Danny Amendola making plays all over the place. Who, who saw that coming? Yeah. Not to mention Edelman. I have had a lot of time to get used to that. One last thing, Dale. There seems to be a groundswell of opinion that the Steelers should just walk away, um, you know, with contractual uh, obligations and, and uh, protections from Le'Veon Bell. Uh, what do you think they're going to do with him? Um, they say they're not going to negotiate a long term until um, they put the franchise tag on him. Um, do you think that they're better off without Le'Veon Bell, given the money and, frankly, given the recent stuff that he, you know, he did and showing up late for the walkthrough and all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, this showing up late for the walkthrough stuff, if you remember back last year, Stan, when they were negotiating or, or, or getting ready to negotiate a new deal with Antonio Brown, all of a sudden news comes out that he's somehow a bad teammate. Uh, to me, this, this whole thing, and I'm not saying that, that, that the Post-Gazette story is wrong or that, that Ed made things up or anything like that. I believe Ed was told this, but it seems a little strange to me me knowing Ed Bouchette, he put that that paragraph about Le'Veon Bell skipping all the five minutes of the walkthrough was in the third to last paragraph of his story. That's that's burying the lead, is it not? Good point. I mean, I'm I'm reading the story. I see the headline, and I'm reading the story. I'm like, where do we get to this part at? It's all the way at the bottom of the story. Um, it just me. And you also had the news coming out that uh, on Pro Football Talk that some of the uh, minority owners, or, or I should say not minority owners, limited partners, uh, wanted to try to get Mike Tomlin fired. And two days later, we've got this story coming out saying that that they're you know Tomlin doesn't have control of the locker room. Look at this; uh, it, it stinks a little bit to me. Something smells a little fishy. That's all I'm going to say. And it, you know, again. I have I have a lot of uh, respect for Ed, and I haven't talked to him or or had any kind of conversation with him about it. But he's to, he's a better reporter than that to bury something like that. So someone wants a narrative out there. Uh, th- that's the way I feel about it. Um, now maybe I'm completely wrong about that, Stan. I don't know, but it just seems that way to me. If it's me. You know, Le'Veon, is it, is it a lot of money to pay for a running back? Yes, it absolutely is. Uh, you know, and, and as good as Le'Veon Bell is, he's not a game-breaker. He's not a guy that is going to, you know, break off a bunch of 50- or 60-yard runs for you. He's a grinder, but he's also the best receiving back in the league. Yeah. Uh, can you replace that with a draft pick? I don't think you can. I mean, it's awfully difficult. And, oh, by the way, how good is he at blitz pickup? Just because his... that's that's the one thing that every rookie running back, for the most part, struggles with. So I mean, you're starting over in that respect with a guy like you know, if if, if you bring somebody else in, I think he's awfully valuable. I, I would try to work out a long term deal. If you can't do that, um, you know, it's it's a lot of money. But I don't. Again, I haven't seen him be some kind of disruptive factor in, in the locker room. I've, I've I've yet to see that. Did it did it hurt the team? that he held out until right before the end of training camp or right before the season started. Absolutely. He got off to a slow start. Um, but they won their first two games as well. So I don't know if that was a factor. And he's not the reason they lost the third one either. Um, no. Against Chicago. 
Dale, great stuff. Great insight, as always. We'll be checking in with you from time to time. Follow Dale, DK Pittsburgh Sports, covering the Steelers and the NFL. Appreciate it, Dale. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Stan. Okay. Take care. There goes Dale Lally. Um, I picked the Eagles to win yesterday, not by 31 points, but I picked them to win for the exact reason that people picked them to lose. When we get to the 1 o'clock hour, Mike Lang will join us. Some news about the Penguins. They have a practice today, had a practice today. Everybody was there. How about that? And we'll talk about that. And also, is the NHL's expansion draft policy, because Vegas has the best record in the league, too lenient? We'll be talking about that next hour as well on Savern on Sports. When the Godfather speaks, Pittsburgh listens or else. Are you trying to get me to lose my temper because I'm about to put you through that damn window? It's Severin on Sports, 970 ESPN, and now on 106.3 FM. Xavier Rhodes on the bench, not out there, on third down and ten. And Foles able to get away and throw. Pass is caught! Jeffrey, Touchdown! Who figures any championship game is going to be a blowout? I picked the Eagles to win, not by 38-7, to because I think being a home underdog with the exact same record as Minnesota was foolish. The Eagles have a pretty good defense. But most people said, well, you can't win with Nick Foles. Well, couldn't I say the same thing about the Vikings? Well, you can't win with Case Keenum. And that's not to take away from what Case Keenum did this year. He's the NFL's comeback player of the year. And I'm not diminishing what he did, but what he did for the Vikings, was that significantly more than what Foles did for the Eagles? I I don't know what the stats were, but it seemed to me that if you were willing to pick the Vikings because you didn't think Nick Foles could win for the Eagles, couldn't the exact same opposite apply? Because let's face it, the Vikings were very fortunate to make this game, and the game was being played in Philly outdoors. Not that the weather was a factor, it wasn't. The field was crappy. That's what happens this time of year. Though I picked the Eagles... We'll talk about whether they have a shot in the Super Bowl. A couple of other items. Number one, hats off to Roosevelt Knicks. He's been added to the Pro Bowl because the Patriots fullback, Devaney, is going to be otherwise occupied, unfortunately. So, Rosie Knicks. And also, Dick LeBeau will not be back in Nashville with Mike Vrabel being the head coach. Is this the end of Dick LeBeau's career? We're going to switch to hockey. Mike Lang joins me next on Savern on Sports.